and welcome to the Tremendously Awkward Podcast. I'm Dan Barry. And I'm Josh Barnett. And with us is Bill Carr. Bill, how you doing? It's been great. You know, I managed to finally extract that oddly shaped object out of my ass, and I, I've been feeling so much better. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great. That, that's, that's, that's great to hear. The amount of determination yeah. that you needed to get it in there is something that we'll all stand behind. You oh, really- uh, if, you, if you know one thing about me, it's that I'm not a quitter. That's, that's no, all I want to hear is we're, we're more surprised because your ass is so small uh, that one would wonder how you got anything in there. Yeah, well, you know, it's not just about size all the time. Um, in fact, you know, you can be small and mighty. So when I deadlift, I'm not trying to uh, you gain hear that, a ladies? particular amount of mass. I'm just trying to, you know, really strengthen those muscles in there, tighten up those sinews. So it's just like a piece of cabled steel. Yeah. But, you know, it doesn't have to be particularly large. Bill's just all about tendon strength around his butt. Anywho. Yeah. <laughs> Josh, how you been, man? Ah, I live in large. I, I can see that. I can see that. Uh, we, um, I have, last time we spoke, when was this? It was probably when I was in, oh, not spoke, but last time we. Yeah, well, that would have been uh, one of those high spots gimmicks that you did. Yep, uh, yeah, yeah. In, in a nondescript, uh, you know, hotel CD. near the airport where people usually go to take their uh, their prostitutes. Right. Oh, that's good. 100%. Was it, were you there when there was the, the family fighting over the keys to the uh, apartment? Or not family, but prostitute and John uh, fighting over the I heard the keys? story, but I wasn't there. Oh, yeah. I would have had to have taken a side. Uh, we, we just sat there in awe. And uh, two wrestlers who are currently signed, who I will not uh, mention, uh, were very high. And they were very uncomfortable. Pretty sure that, 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 that was John Cena. Yeah, it was John, was Cena. John Cena. Yeah, and the Big Show, which is yes. hanging out. <laughs> Wanting to sit down with Dan Barry. Yeah, they, they really were like, we want to be in on this, but we're really high. And I was like, it's all right, Paul. <laughs> I just realized both names were Pauls. I was saying that, so I feel like a dick now. But whatever, anyway. That's yeah, okay. Josh, you just came up a successful weekend of uh, blood sport. How you feeling, yeah. man? Good. Um, I'm feeling pretty good about it. I feel like you know, the show looked what well, was a fantastic presentation, uh, production, and all that kind of stuff. I felt like everything came together to deliver the aesthetic that we wanted for the product, and then the 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 athletes themselves. I mean, they just showed up, man, like nobody's business. It was fantastic. It felt like, uh, from pictures I saw, it felt like, um, it was better than that, just to understand, but it felt like, pictures? Uh, and I meant, what's that? You can't, I even, saw, you can't even reference GIFs? I, no, because I, I don't have any. You watched it, Dan? No, I didn't. I don't, I, I don't have anything. I have <sighs> no access to anything. Josh, <sighs> I'm sorry. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. You know what? My grandfather's dying, and I'm trying to get him a hospital bed. So if you guys want to make well, me you know feel what? bad about that. You know what will make your grandfather feel a whole lot better? Probably Josh Barnett's blood. That's true. I, I yeah, was trying to get I him to watch so. the show, but it was uh, it was a lot. Uh, walking 100 feet is a big deal for him. So, Well, um, he could at least sit there and be like, look at these young wimps in yeah. my era. Yeah, you know, probably like doing it dish. sober, you know. <laughs> Uh, best of luck to your granddad. Though, oh, you know, right. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. whatever you do, uh, keep the morale up. Keep the yeah. morale up. Make him, make him feel strong. Think strong. He's a, he's a, he's a good man. World War II vet. Uh, strong man. Uh, good dude. Probably one of the best people I ever met. Uh, and I mean that like just not because he's my grandpa, whatever. But anywho, uh, that's why I didn't watch it. Sorry, I will catch up. But the <laughs> venue itself, right? The way it was lit. I felt very like Rocky versus Apollo Creed at the end of Rocky three, where like, if mm-hmm. nobody was there, it's just two pros going out to see who'd be better. And if that's why, when you said like, I want to fight you uh, to me, Josh, I was like, let's do that. Oh, because yeah. that's what it reminded me of. Cause I was like, hell yeah. Like no cameras. Fuck it. Like, let's You're go. just hoping for the freeze frame, you know, yeah. South pod, orthodox punch thing. And then the it'll be the last thing I remember from your punch. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll be like, and that's what we freeze framed. And I, well, that was it. Before we even get into blood sport, why don't we tell this? Well, we, why don't you mostly tell the story? I, Bill, were you even the ringside when this happened? What's this? Well, so I'm in there. I'm, I'm uh, working with my student mm-hmm. and Dan sitting over there stretching 
but he, he, he all of a sudden stopped really stretching and is more just fucking rubbernecking the whole thing. Because it was interesting. And, and then eventually he just goes, was it you or was it me that it, I think I actually, I think I walked over and I said, come on. I went, no, here's, so, so here's exactly oh, what happened. Is, this is in Buffalo, right? Buffalo. Yeah, Buffalo. That's right. And he was rolling with Thatcher. Once this happened, I was like, oh, no, this is... This is not going to end well. <laughs> so, so let's start with the precursor of this. I All had right. met you once, and that was at PWG when me and Bill did our running, when me and Bill our match. Mm-hmm. I ran on my knees, and then we're sitting there watching you, and I'm laughing. It's like Barnett thinks this is the biggest piece of shit he's ever seen in his life. I it was, was hilarious. Laughing. It was a comedy match. I mean, right. you know, that's the thing about wrestling. You know, uh, if I show up to watch comedy, and I'm not there to watch like wrestling, but I'm there to watch, then. You guys were doing that. It was you and Silver was in the match. And, yeah. and you guys did a bunch of like really brilliant, funny, like well-constructed. I mean, it was, it, it, it's like watching people that uh, of, of the earlier era when they're constructing bits and stuff like that. It's just, it's really yeah. engaging. Uh, it's in the middle of an audience in this, this combat scenario of, of the ring, but it was, it was awesome. Well, we, thank you. Thank you. We appreciate that. Cause I can tell you when I was on the ring, I think I whispered to Bill, I'm like, Man, Barnett fucking hates this. <laughs> and like, I, I, remember well, I remember, I remember seeing a picture during that match of you, and you had a big smile, and you were laughing hysterically. So I was like, okay, this is good. This is. I good. might have had a pair of uh, sunglasses on my face you that did. I was gifted, but yeah, made my made, made this little guy's night. Yeah, that that's what Chris Hero said. Uh, get made that little fan so happy or something like that. Like, <laughs> a little boy's dream just came true. It was you, Bill, putting this like that on you. Oh, so good. Anyway, so that was the only time I'd ever seen you, met you. It was very brief, but it was fine. So I see you're on the show. I say hello to you. Uh, I'm watching you roll with uh, Thatcher. I'm like, man, that's cool, man. And you know, like a lot of people don't know this, but like that's the style of wrestling I've always enjoyed. I am um, much more Malenko Nagata and uh william regal than i am like goofy funny i love that wrestling so i was watching you go i was like this is really interesting to watch and then i started stretching again i gave you like a nod but it was more of like a how's it going man and i started stretching and then i looked up and you were already in what i call the stew heart pose where like your hands like you're in that like that grappler's (laughs) position and you started moving towards me i'm like Ah, shit, here we go. And I'm wearing my (laughs) shitty Hawaiian shirt, for the record. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Here we go. And uh, we just started rolling around. And um, I think I surprised you. I remember there's only one moment that really surprised you. And it was you ended up being a bottom wrist lock. And I rolled through and I tripped you with my feet. And you didn't expect it. And you went, oh, shit. And you fell back. And I was like, ha, ha. And then you let me get every other opening after that. But it was very fun to roll around the ring with you. But I, I was uh, pleasantly surprised that you didn't, and not not because of anything other than like I felt like you'd want to test me to be like, does this fucking guy actually know how to wrestle? And I felt like that was what I was going in for. I was like, all right, well here we go. <laughs> That's I was scared. Well, from my perspective, I was just thinking like, oh okay, I just want to see what he does. What's his? What are his? Um, what are his instincts? What does he? What does he want to do? What what? You know, I'll give him a little predicament and see how does he get himself out of it, what's he do with it, and just play around just to see what's what. And we just chain wrestle a bit and go out there and roll around. And then it's like, all right. And you, I think you're like, no, I actually, I can actually wrestle. I know what I'm And I go, well, cool. I love it. <laughs> I'm into it. I feel like I have to defend myself because I, like, I don't know. I'll put it in perspective of like a, a Jim Cornette. Like if a Jim Cornette watched me wrestle and then he was like, that, that fucking guy sucks. Like, I would be like, well, yeah, but I could stretch like half of your friends. Like, I know I yeah. can, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. It's still like, it's the goofy guy in the t-shirt. And uh, I want to know, and I want an honest assessment. Bill's here. Ha- you have to be honest with Bill. Was oh. I better than you expected? Good for who I am? Or like, you're fine. And I honestly, I want to know 100% sincerity. I want to know what you think. <sighs> <laughs> no, um, to be honest, I didn't have any expectations. I just wanted to just let you show me who you were. And I thought like, I thought that you presented yourself very well. Obviously, if we, we go back to this, this constant dialogue, which isn't a gimmick or a joke, enough that I was like, no, yeah, I totally would want to wrestle you. So I would sure. love to just wrestle you in a singles match and just do it like we mean it. And I think it'd be fun. 
I, I agree. After that roll around, I was like, this would be fun. That's the only that became my thing. I also want to see you versus Bill because I feel like it'd be a totally different animal. And also, Hoss I want to see you. Yeah, I want to see you toss Bill at least twice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that was that, that. That was probably my. Uh, you know, what was running through my head. It was like, if I'm next, I like I'm more of a puncher than a wrestler. So uh, this is a losing battle for me if I go in there and uh, strike with you. So. He's throwing. You're throwing those Ray Trailer rights. You're not throwing oh, those fucking yeah. palm strikes. You got the, the big swing on you. <laughs> But I did make it to section finals my senior year of high school. So there it is. Nice. Well, I mean, that's the thing is that's the kind of skills that I would even say, like, if you just are on the match doing some amateur wrestling work just for the conditioning of it and just to stay in step with the movements, when you're in a professional wrestling ring, you're not really going to find yourself in any bad spots potentially because – because the whole point of just wrestling, amateur wrestling, let's say, in this case, is control of, of your opponent and using levers and weight transfer and off balancing. And so if you're if you're really competent and adept at that and you're just staying in that practice, then it's going to be so much easier to throw, be thrown and adjust and control. And if you get a hold of someone, they're going the wrong direction. You, you can you can navigate them back to where you need to go or you can extend things out longer than normal because not waiting for somebody to hit the next cue you're just like well at some point maybe you know i'm gonna want them to actually get away from me but not yet because maybe the, the, you hear that the crowd is still getting into it so you just stay riding them a little bit you let them hit a sit out but then you do a suck back and get a little near fall and get them get back over all you're doing is just amateur wrestling and then the other thing about it is that amateur wrestling is so great for your conditioning that if you're and this is why i'm always in fact, a few people, uh, Simon Grimm and other folks will often echo people come out and be like, oh, you know, I want to go to a wrestling school. He's like, just get in a gym, get in an MMA gym, get in somewhere. Because if you're training at least half as hard as they are, you'll be in pretty phenomenal shape to get in a, a, a pro wrestling ring, especially an indie ring, because you don't know what grab bag you're going to come across, depending yeah. on where you're at. Mm-hmm. And if you're in good shape, you're safer. You're safer yeah. than, than, than anybody else because when you're in good shape, not only can you adjust and take bumps and anything that's going on better, but you're way better at controlling that other person. And you want to put together that crazy 30-minute match where you get to the, the end and you have some real, you know, falsies and you go to the, these big, huge moments. Well, if you're not so blown up that you're dangerous, you're not going to let go or slip the head that you needed to protect or anything like that, then you're going to make sure that these people take all these spills in a way that doesn't allow them to get hurt. I think my, my big thing is I like, um, so I like matches wherein a lot of the amateur wrestling kind of comes out. And I Mm -hmm. like some of the the matches where submission holds and reversing of submission holds. And it's just, uh, it's going to sound like this is a terrible way to describe it, but it's like masturbatory wrestling. We're like, I'm doing this for me. Like, I don't mm. like if I wrestled, the reason I said I, if I wrestled you, uh, I'd want it to be like a Rocky Apollo Creed thing is because at the end of the day, like, I'd rather just the match. I don't need the world to see me and you being like, I'll see you in the ring. And then whatever mm. happens, happens. Like, that's the way I'd want to do that because it's just such a good test of skill. Um, is blood sport much more of the we're going to let wrestlers wrestle or do you feel it has like a mix of like the we're planning out spots at the same time? What, what, uh, you know? I would say that it, there, there's a mix of it, but the more people are in blood sport, the less it is pre-planned programmed. Okay. I mean, it really starts, people start to get familiarity with opponents, but also they start to get familiarity with even, I would say themselves. So they, they take this, take this deep introspective existential journey and they, they arrive at this location with all this newfound fulfillment or something like that. I'm hoping but in any case, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but but people get more used to the idea of that. And you know, if, if you and I get in the ring, I'm not calling any spots. No, I don't I'll want you out in the ring. That's just what I do. I don't I don't structure these things, I just wrestle. Yeah. And you know, people watch Suzuki and they're like, ah, it's crazy. I go, I didn't call anything. I mean, yeah. maybe a little thing on the fly here and there, but otherwise we just said, I don't know, how's life? And then I'm going to go warm up. I'll see you in a bit. <laughs> that was it. 
And I feel like that way you can be as invested in the moment and reading your opponent and reading the audience and reading anything that, that, that exists out in that environment. And then you can make your audibles from there, or what have you, but, but I'm in it, right? Uh, mentally and, and physically, I am fully committed and my intent is true. Whereas a lot of folks get in there with the, one of the downsides of, of the, the structure, the completely plotted out match is that there you, you see that they're looking for that next line of dialogue that they're supposed to speak instead of having a conversation. Yeah. They're, now they're not listening. They're just waiting. They heard, they heard the end of the sentence and now they're, they're going to put theirs in. I want um, to eat popcorn and watch you and Bill wrestle while death metal plays in the background and oh, i want yeah. to know because that's the that's i think the kicker is i feel like you guys are like oh yeah we'll have a, like a really strong hospital and then i just i just play i i'm gonna pull nothing out of my ass because i can't pretend that i'm on the same level of death metal as you guys but i'll pull <laughs> something out and you guys will stop and like your eyes will get wide and you start throwing <laughs> bombs <laughs> either that or we'll just start talking about which album we like best or, oh this is the one where they change the drummer isn't it yeah oh yeah but, yeah. <laughs> but you know what another thing going back to being in shape um, I always say the best shape that you can possibly be in is from amateur wrestling but also lasting an entire festival in a mosh pit oh <laughs> yeah that's good shape from start to finish I think that is a phenomenal form of cardio, and um, it's also fun. And you get to beat the shit out of people. I agree. I've seen Bill go into a pit. Uh, was it who was playing at the time? Bill was it? Was that Mastodon at that point, or was that um, was that every time remember. I die? I don't know. Brooklyn. We went, we went to see every time I die in Brooklyn. Who opened? Who who they open with? It was them. Oh, they opened for Mastodon and yeah. uh, Coheed and Cambria. Yeah. So one of the, I think it was Mastodon. You went into the pit and watching people clear way for Bill and then getting the fuck out of the pit is one of the funniest <laughs> things I've ever seen. Josh, can you echo that sentiment or people just kind of look at you and go, fuck yeah, we're, we're uh, brawling with Josh Barnett? <laughs> a little, a little of both. Um, I've had a lot of people be like, holy fuck, it's you. And then be stoked that they're in the pit with me. And I've had, I, I'll go around, grab, you know, grab a kid in the pit, throw my arm around, we'll headbang together, whatever, you know, I'm picking yeah. people up. But I remember one time I was at a show with, uh, with, with some friends and we're, we're at the observatory Triple in Santa H? Ana. Was it Triple H? <laughs> yeah. It, it wasn't, it wasn't Triple H. Oh. And so I'm standing at the top of this little area where the stairs lead up out of the pit into more of the, like this sort of GA, whatever seating. And uh, my buddy, Rob Dukes is a singer for Exodus at the time. And he sees me up there and he's like, that, oh, I see you motherfucker, get in the fucking pit. And he just basically calls me out. So I'm like, oh shit. So I had to go down there and then I'm spinning around doing the deal, you know, flattening some people out with the, with the shiver. And, uh, He's he calls for he, we're we going to war as my shepherd. He wants to do a fucking wall of death. And so I end up just like firing people up, screaming, like, who wants to live forever? And it's like shoving the side, each side apart and creating this, this helping create this wall of death. And I just stood in the center of it and they just crashed onto me and then we just went nuts. That's awesome. I love that. I love it. At Exodus, Exodus, it was, I think it was Exodus and Testament. Those are two of the best pits I've ever been in. It was mm. it was the same bill. But those are two of the best pits that I've ever been in. I smoked oh, I at a Cypress it. Hill concert once. <laughs> That's, all I got. That's all I got, guys. I'm not. I'm not overtly violent. Um, my favorite was. What was it? it was. Uh, we were going to that every time I die concert, and Bill was there, and I was playing Cat Stevens as I pulled up. <laughs> really? Like Father and Son's a real great song. It makes me cry. Fuck you. <laughs> well you know if, if, whenever we get in the ring i have the ultimate finisher for you dan what's that it's just i mean it's just fiji jameson and and coke diet coke until you just can't go anymore oh no uh my birthday's on friday my uh somebody i work with sent me a giant bottle of jameson it was like enjoy the weekend i'm like what what do you think i do oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, like, you know what though you, you kept it together you did you kept it together in fact to an extent and, well, and uh, I can say for the record that Dan Barry is not a mean drunk at all. In fact, I'm a loving drunk. He, 
Oh God, this guy, he seems full of so much love. Like the smile cannot be erased from his face after you get enough, uh, uh, what is it, the uh, water of life. Yeah, that's right. You can't, they give me a triple, st- triple distilled heaven. That's it. I'm a lover. Uh, uh, Bill, Bill is a much more suicidal drunk. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. That's a, I mean, that's a given. We drank around to Epcot the entire world, and then Bill tried to grab the steering wheel of the car while I was driving home uh, <laughs> to try and crash the car. So um, we don't it's do that anymore. <laughs> I just remember the the amount of chicken wings we ate was almost uh yeah. oh know, my perverse. lord that was like that was one of the best uh that was like one of the best wrestling experiences I had was that first time in Buffalo like a hundred percent it was a that lot was, of fun uh, yeah just yeah, the whole, so all of whole, us everything. Andy Brody King yeah it was a blast yeah, yeah. Brody Brody King just I my first time really hanging out with Brody King like my first time ever really hanging out with you like first time really hanging out with Thatcher like it was just like a, you know. Everyone was in their environment. It was a great time. Uh, I was an NPC in your life. I was like, you were, I was just following you where you went throughout the entire thing. But it was honestly, it was so much fun. It was. Just, uh, is there is there any, I don't know, perspective from from that that's like, I don't know. Uh, it's funny because Andy will tell us. I, I get a story relayed back to me of that Andy has told about being places with me, and he's like, and then Barnett just did this, and he did that, and he did and I what the fuck? And I'm like, I don't think I did anything that particularly egregious or, or noteworthy, but. Do you remember the techno Viking? Yes. Yeah, I do. So there's yeah. a moment before the techno Viking video where he stops something, he points and then he starts walking and then a parade starts behind him. That yeah. was essentially what happened that night. Like, with, <laughs> without any fail. You. That's you talk like to some, <laughs> you, you talk to some, this is how I remember. We were sitting in a bar. You, you talked to some fan who was talking to you. You then pointed at the band, be like, I love this band. And then we just walked and we went to a different bar inside the same venue. And that's what I remember about that night. It was just like music bumping and then you just walking through things and people just kind of splitting the ways. And then the second favorite thing about that night was, uh, if it was me or si, I forget who it was. I think it was me. I was like, uh, you could take everyone in this pit right now. Like you, if you went out there, there isn't a single person you couldn't beat up and you got like real quiet and you like nodded. And then like four minutes went past and you went up to me like, pick the best five. And I went, what? And I was like, Oh my God, he's, he's still, he is, uh, this entire room, like Jason fucking born. Like, I was blown away by that moment. I was the happiest I've ever been. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that sounds like something that would happen. <laughs> and and Thatcher was there the whole time, just just uh yes, yes, sir. Yes, Mr. Bird. Yes, yes. <laughs> He's not a big metal guy too. And I, I He's a big I, metal I, guy. Yeah. He's a big metal guy, not a big technology guy, but a big metal guy. <laughs> not a technology guy, no. He is he is a Luddite and, and not not abashed about it at all. Only person you have to mail a letter to book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, I think he still owns a prepaid Nokia. I think, I think it's his <laughs> choice. Yeah, whenever he's at the whenever he's at the store, he just whips out his abacus. Pulls out a yeah, pulls out a cord with a bunch of coins on it. <laughs> he has like the little chicking, chicking, chicking. Um the uh I worked with Amish people. Uh I used to be a television producer and I worked with Amish people on the Wait, show. hold on. How are you working? How do you work with the Amish when you're a television producer? You're like, come over here and they're like, keep that demon box away from me. Because the Amish are fucking hypocrites, and I can talk oh. to you about that a little bit more in a little okay. bit. But right. so what happened was I was working on a show where people were drilling for oil, and um, basically one of the people, one of the Amish people, they believed had oil on his property, mm. and so he was like, "Yeah, you can drill on my property if I get the oil right." And they sure. were like, "Yeah, like we'll give you two thirds of the oil rights to the property if we hit oil." He goes, "Okay," so we d- drill in, but to reach this guy, we had to call a phone of a guy who lived in the town to have him answer it. Go get the Amish guy. That Amish guy would give him an answer. He'd come back. He'd call me and say yes or no, for example. And that's okay. why I picture communicating Tim Thatcher to me. <laughs> there's, there's a man in his village whose job it is to answer the phone for Tim Thatcher. Tim Thatcher. Anyway, it's his village. It's, it's, it's village. <laughs> I just would think like carrier pigeon. 
Like it just shows up. And then one day you don't even get a response. It's just like, he's like, I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. He's just, he just if, if the pigeon doesn't come back, he ate it and he's coming to the show. <laughs> he's got a few, all those muscles. Yeah. I mean, he's another person like, like 10, like tensile strength. Like he's not like a big dude. He is a big dude. Like compared yeah. to like the average human, but well, like he's not, compared to, he's not Bill big. No, no, nobody's yeah. Bill big. Um, <laughs> the biggest man of all time. That's right. <laughs> biggest, biggest big man ever. Biggest goddamn Bill. <laughs> Paul White, suck a butt. Bill Carr's yeah. goddamn. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, he's just he. But he's a dude that you feel like, like if if a car was in his way when he was walking forward, he wouldn't walk around the car. Like that's what I would picture. Tim yeah, Bill. you know, uh, Thatcher's an interesting one because he's such a pleasant non-confrontational he's like you know i'm yeah, yeah i'm okay i'm okay but he, he's just he, he 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 gives me the the vibe of the kind of person where if you if you legitimately really try to push him in a certain way he'd be like that's never gonna fucking happen and mm-hmm. i'm gonna destroy you i've seen him mad once and it was about oh, really it was just talking about wrestling and he got heated about like people this one of the topics was about wrestling was he was just hated on like these fucking people go out there and like kill themselves and aren't ready to do anything. They're not wrestlers. And he got like, really like, you could see he was getting like real hot. And I was like, Whoa, oh boy, I better take this Hawaiian shirt off. He's going to fucking kill me. <laughs> like, <laughs> he could snap my neck and his heart rate wouldn't increase a beat. <laughs> that's, that's the truth. I remember him and Kratos came down and it was, and they were going to be in town. I said, well, it's through one of my fight camps. So I'll need you guys to, to join in. And they showed up and they're just like, what are we going to do? Seriously. And I go, just trust me. And so I had them rotated in, like at least one of the things was uh, hammer was running the, was part of running the sparring. So hammer come in, we go live full MMA for like two or three minutes. And then it'd be like, okay, out of a five minute round, then at that three minute mark, boom, Thatcher, you're on top. Josh has to be on bottom, go attack him, punch him and just try to submit him and keep him from getting up. And if he gets up, I'll just go right back down again. Or it would be Kratos, pin him into the fence and don't let him off. Try to take him down and hold him. And it was just, you know, of course, I would fuck him up. <laughs> but at the same time, I was like, you guys are going to be all right. I mean, you, you know more than you think you do. And every day, those dudes were on the mats, made to hit pads, on the bags, like just in it, like as a part of fight camp. Your training sounds like an actual, my actual nightmares. <laughs> hey, incredibly big guys are going to hold you down. You have to get up. Oh, I'm just going to live here now. <laughs> I'm a human slug. <laughs> just never move. Well, uh, you know, but this kind of training does pay off for those that end up being in blood sport, especially uh, because I, I want that intensity. I want that, um, I don't want things to seem as if there's ever like a real uh, break from what's going on, you know, and with that overall point being like, we're here to win. We're here to fight and we're here to win. That's what we're here for. And by doing that, we will show the best of ourselves. I I think it's a cool, I like blood sport. I like the whole concept of it. I love it. it. It's fun. Um, I have to watch the last one. I'm very sorry. I still, I'm sorry to see it, but uh, I like the whole concept. I like, pure wrestling it's one of my favorite mm-hmm. things and then while we're on blood sport i want to see i have a couple of questions mm-hmm. uh from fans on twitter mm-hmm. uh, by fans i mean maybe five so don't worry <laughs> That's um, okay we'll when see. are we going to see dan it's, barry versus the, Bill same, the same fan with five questions That's what it yeah, is. yeah it's, it's actually my aunt uh, <laughs> when are we going to see dan barry versus bill carr in blood sport <laughs> Okay. Well, I mean, <laughs> could be That's a great question. I can tell you, it's not a good. On to the next. <laughs> me, me versus Bill has happened once, and it was just a death match. So I mean, at some point. <laughs> if you had to book Bill and Dan for Bloodsport, who would you have them compete against? Rule: It can't be against each other. <laughs> It's all going to be Bill and Dan Bloodsport. Okay, well, um, I will have Bill versus Andy Williams. And I will have uh, Dan versus, yeah, you know what? You and Simon Grimm could have a good go, I bet. Like, I think so. I've seen him wrestle, and I actually like a lot of what he does. I think that'd be a really good match. Yeah, either that or, or, uh, I bet, look, if you 
move if you get out there and you get with him the way that you you were with me he would he would love it he would be all about it like if, if the thing about uh simon is that look if you show up and you just fucking you do that you get in there and, and, and just lock up and go for it yeah he's down he loves it if he if he if there's anything bullshit about it he's just like oh fuck this you know now what yeah i'm 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 of the mindset that Originally, when I talked to you about it, if I wrestled you, I wanted to be in my full wrestling like Hawaiian shirt gear because mm-hmm. I thought the juxtaposition would be interesting. Uh, I don't want to do that anymore. I just want to wrestle because I think I'm done being funny because I, I don't think cops are funny anymore. So I'm just going to move past that. <laughs> we're, we're just going to be serious wrestlers because that's way better and uh, less a lot less concerning. But um, I, I would love that. And I have one more question, and it's from uh, Alex Shelley. Mm-hmm. He says, "How do I get booked for Bloodsport?" Oh wait, this and is the Alex Shelley. This is Alex Shelley, like actual guy. Alex Shelley. And <laughs> I said it's against me, and he said, "Yes, we'll do." So, um, okay. Uh, well, I mean, carrier pigeon's a way to start. Um, yeah, I'm gonna. I got a carrier pigeon ready. It's not really a carrier pigeon. It's a an unladen swallow. It's a Monty Python reference. I don't know a Europe, yes, a European. Uh, you know what is the <laughs> African and European? I don't yeah. know. uh i I mean all right well i'll i'll take a look not that i'm not familiar with alex shelley i mean i've actually called alex uh and new japan pro wrestling before with uh him and uh it's kushida right yeah yes yeah so Yeah, he's, he's a he's um, a he's a good talent. Yeah, if you never book me, Alex Shelley, if he wants to do Bloodsport, it's like fucking him. Him and Gresham would be sick if you could do that. I don't mm-hmm. think you do Gresham actually anymore. But uh, I, I, I don't know either. I mean, there's always the the. I mean, being we are an indie show. I mean, I know that the the presentation I feel of of these next two shows is not indie level. Yeah. Uh, what you're, you know, and and we we spent a lot of time, a lot of effort money and then making it look the way that we did but we are very uh i mean if i want to get super cliche about it like we're we're blessed we're super blessed but we're very fortunate to have some really killer people working with us like um the group uh 5b artist management and people associated with that who've stepped in have done a fantastic job of working with gcw and myself and then everybody who shows up it's it's a uh community project everybody puts in on it and you know be it from being in the ring and everything else uh you know i fuck i i sweep the the damn venue when it's done like we make sure that we get it done and and that not only do we present the best product that we can present but that also wherever we go people want to have us come back um you know it's our reputation and our reputation as a wrestling company doesn't just extend to the product that goes on air it extends to how we take care of business and how we do business with other people and even how i try and deal with the wrestlers um because i know that the this indie this indie environment can be really nasty and you know wrestling has always been tough fighting has 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 a really ugly side to it too and so i'd, I'd rather that people walk away uh, from being at Bloodsport with feeling that they were appreciated, that they got, not only did they get their money's worth from them putting their efforts into it, but that they were respected, that they were treated like adults, that they were paid properly, that they were taken care of. And, and that's that, you know? Is there, um, uh, the, the next kind of questions are all, uh, the next questions I got from fans are not related to Bloodsport at all. But uh, is there something that you wish you could do right now uh, that you can't do? Removing the idea of fans, because fans obviously mm-hmm. are the things that everyone wants to wrestle in front of. Is there yeah. something that you wish Bloodsport could do uh, now that it can't, but you hope to be able to do in the future? Well, I, I would love for us to get to the point where we're doing enough business that we can maybe start pre-planning a, a schedule for the year. Um, and then with that schedule, and if, if we're, we're doing that well, then I could even come up with some small contracts for wrestlers to say like, hey, we will we will put you under, under some sort of contract so that you know that you're coming back, that work is coming to you, that we can kind of build on things a little more. Not that we want to go full, deep, dramatic storylines, but at least know that we can we can start something and we can finish something 
And, uh, you know, because that's always, you know, trying to explain to some, some people from the outside and go, oh, well, well, get this guy and that guy. You could just, I go, well, hold on, you know, even if people are willing and wanting and we can afford them, uh, there's all, there's no guarantee that the thing that's the least guaranteed is that I can get them back because yeah. there's bookings all over the freaking world under a normal circumstance. Uh, and let alone if they get picked up by a bigger company or something like that. And I wouldn't want to get in the way of somebody getting a six figure deal from, from a large company. I mean, that's, you know, we're not that. So uh, I don't want to impede somebody's progress uh, to advance in, in the world, in the business side of wrestling, but also um, it's just, you know, locking somebody down means you got to be able to follow through. Yeah. And I'm not trying to, you know, one of the, the problems with, with, MMA has been at times is that fighters get into these contracts and they just sitting around and, you know, allowing them to go fight elsewhere, but yet still know that their contract exists would, would be you know, advantageous to everybody because everyone gets, everyone's able to still function on the business side of things. But then, uh, you know, I, why did I, I didn't, I wouldn't give a contract to somebody that I didn't believe in. Right. Yeah. Like why, why would I tie them up if I don't have a real sincere want to develop that person if it's possible. So is there a, a can me and Bill just do commentary? I, I don't know that we're, <laughs> we're kind of, Oh, now you say that. Now I've asked you about doing commentary. You asked me the week before sport. last time. And yeah. I was like, I, I'm not able to do that this weekend. Yeah. I would love to do it. I, you know, but notice. <laughs> I, I will I say that there have been, uh, there have been times where, um, trying to arrange the commentary side of things. It was like kind of the last thing and the last piece in the puzzle we worked on. It was like, oh, fuck. So on this one, we have Max Bredos uh, yeah. doing commentary and he's an ESPN uh, a veteran. He does uh, LA soccer. Uh, he's done Combate Americas. He's, he's not completely uh, green to all this and, and you know, it's, it steps up the, the, the whole product yeah. itself. And, and I sit right, right alongside with them to, to give more of the intricate um, technical uh, aspects of, of what's going on. Is, uh, can we just give Bill a blood sport contract and he has to fight uh, random homeless people on the show and actually fight them to death? I mean, I'm, I'm down mm. for that. I mean, I don't know. It seems like a winner. Yeah, yeah. I, look, guys, I'm just saying I'm a brilliant strategist when it comes to like blood sports here. And here's the Bill Carr hobo fight. <laughs> Winner gets the most today. Yeah, bump fights sold a lot of DVDs. What can I'm I just say? Just saying, it did. I have another question from a, a from a fan. It's a comedian friend of mine who actually is a fan of yours, for the record, Mr. Oh. Barnett. Uh, oh, there's something wrong with him, clearly. Yeah, he's. I mean, he does have a drinking problem. Um. Brian McKenna asks, what UFC fighter would have been a good pro wrestler, excluding Brock Lesnar for the obvious reason? Um, right. Or which what? one would be a dog shit pro wrestler? Because <laughs> I want to know both sides of that. Oh, man. Uh, what UFC fighter would have been a good pro wrestler? Um, that's a good question. There hasn't been a lot of uh, transition. Um, and the phrasing of that question actually makes me feel like what he's asking is like, is if they, if they didn't go one way and they went the other. So they didn't become an MMA fighter and instead became a professional wrestler. If that's not what they meant, well then. It's whatever. We translate the, we translate the question as we do. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I think King Mo would have always, or always been a, a potentially a decent pro wrestler, but um and we can't say Dan Severn because he was pro wrestling before he even went to the UFC. Mm -hmm. um, hmm. Hmm. Shit. It's, it's, it's really kind of hard to think of who that would be. Can't use Fujita either. Um, what about McGregor? Yeah, I would say yes. But I mean, even for, well, I guess guys are a lot smaller now in professional wrestling, but you know, I'm thinking of the, the larger guys. Uh, you know, Forrest Griffin would have been a decent pro wrestler. Oh, yeah. I think he's, he's a very smart guy. And he um, very clever on his feet. 
So I think that could, could go a long way. Um, and, and who'd be the worst? As for a guy, dog shit, fuck. Man, practically all of them. I mean, really. Like, <laughs> it, it's, it's the like, fact it took you so long to find one, let me believe that you think yeah. all of them would be shit wrestlers. Oh, man. They, they would just be so caught up on like, well, I'm not putting that guy over. Or or just they they have, I think part of the, the problem is that they're they're sort of poisoned on the idea of what they think professional wrestling is. And so as soon as you bring it up to them, you watch them start goofing off. You're like, oh, wow, this is the drizzling shit. Yeah, this you don't get it. I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, it's a sociopath horrible. pro wrestling. That's what I call it. <laughs> uh, watching uh, Tito Ortiz, the first time he ever, I don't know, maybe it was the only time, he was supposed to be a special referee for a match in Impact on TNA back in the day. And I remember seeing the clip somewhere. And there's, you know, uh, uh, just a bunch of jawjacking in the ring and then there's supposed to be like a little clash and then you know tito is gonna come out on top well it's with like nash and someone else and so the little fucking the little uh cluster happens but then tito is like utterly lost as soon as whatever was supposed to happen happened he just looked and then of course nash doesn't lay there the whole time gets up and now tito's even more confused and and he cut like the worst promo you ever heard, which not surprising if you've ever listened to Tito cut promos in general, but uh, or seen his commentary or interview <laughs> skills or spoke. But in any case, uh, it was just, and in this case, it isn't even anti-Tito in any way. It's just that he didn't really understand what was going to be needed and how things could unfold in the wrestling ring. And so as soon as, oh, well, your part only goes to here. It's like if you did improv and then, or you had structure and then you went to improv. And then you, as soon as the improv hit, you were just like, oh, I don't, what are my lines? It's like, whatever the fuck you want them to be, dumb fuck. You already know what you're supposed to do. Be the goddamn but, character. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's not, it doesn't necessarily come natural to people. And so- His debut was painful. You know, watching him just like, oh, uh, like freak the fuck out. And all I could think of is, oh man, the boys are having the way with them right now. Yeah. They're, they're yeah. going to be in the locker room laughing their ass off. Yeah, there was the, when he walked out on the pay per view and he walked in, like, um, there was one pay per view that ended with Tito walking to the ring and he just stood there and looked around. And the announcers are like, it's Tito Ortiz. And they're like hyping it up, but like, there was no build to that Tito could be showing up. So all the fans were just like, I don't, I don't know who this guy is. <laughs> like, they, they were, like, he doesn't, not nothing against Tito Ortiz, like, whatever. Uh, but honestly, he doesn't look like, like a wrestling star he looks like it looks like a top dude you know what i mean but like he doesn't look like a pro wrestler walked in the room and it's like hey he looks like some some frat boy got lost on the way to to his date rape and yeah. uh Oop, you it, know it. <laughs> sure <laughs> um that's that's why i'll leave that one alone oh <laughs> uh, yeah not all frat boys are horrible horrible people but we know the we know the stereotype in any case yeah <laughs> um yeah, and like it isn't really anti-Tito. It's yeah. just that it's way tougher than you think it is. And people get the idea they can just go out there and just, oh, yeah, I just horse around. Like, no, it's not that at all. And in fact, if you go out there and you don't actually embody what it is that you're trying to do, it, none of it sells at all. Like, it just won't, it just won't work. The title of this video, by the way, is going to be uh, UFC fighters could never be pro wrestlers. And it's going to be your quote. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. And that, that'll get all the, like, the likes and the comments and everything else. Bill, now, it, it's, uh, it's tougher than they think. But, uh, you know, <laughs> what ones out there could be pro wrestlers? They're around. You know, Eric Spicely, he does professional yeah. wrestling. Um, He's a good uh, what, um Well, Kane got his feet wet a little bit, but. You know, not much past a couple. He got hurt, didn't he? He got hurt, and then like that was. I it. have no idea, dude. I'm I'm not sure, but uh, and then you know, uh, you got the the artist of pain. I, I can't always remember the names off the top of my. I'm gonna butcher his name. Gizem, and uh, well, you know, they both come from amateur wrestling and or you know MMA, and I thought they were fantastic as a tag team. Oh, so, authors of pain. The uh, uh, authors of pain, right? Okay. Yeah, I said Tokar and Razor when they first came out because I was a big Ninja Turtles 2 fan. But uh, <laughs> that was, that's because one of their names is Razor, R E Z R or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, well, so one of them, uh, Sonny, he's a, a former um, 
uh, international level wrestler from Canada and freestyle, I believe, for Simon Fraser. And I, he is, knew a bunch of the girls that I worked with that were all Simon Fraser uh, freestyle wrestlers. And then the other one, Gizem, Gizem, uh, he's, he's Dutch, but I think he's originally, he's from somewhere else. I, I only say from somewhere else because I'm afraid if I pick the wrong country that will like make a whole international people want to yeah i don't, I don't want to do that but anyways but he was a serious fighter for golden glory out of uh, the netherlands and then um you know he got into professional wrestling and i thought they did a fantastic job so i mean it can happen now do you uh, also have a love for horror movies like bill because i feel like you and bill have a lot in common <laughs> come on bill didn't we talk horror movies i know we had to talk horror did. movies yeah. okay so oh, yeah. i want to know the two of you have to debate the following 1977, two movies came out, Suspiria and House. Either of you know either of those movies, and do either of you? Because this is a question okay, that well, we also. Well, got. yeah, Suspiria for sure. House. House. Yeah. House. We're not. Oh, is that the Japanese one? Right. That yeah. was in 77. That's what I, it's saying. I that was in the 60s. And mm. I'm seeing. Well, I definitely. I would. I would take Suspiria. Because no, I have a bit of, I have a soft spot for the giallo and also the, especially the Italian cinema's use of color in general. Yes, Suspiria is the, uh, I think the the blueprint for colors being used in uh, in movies. I, I, that that was one of my favorite movies. The remake, on the other hand, not good. I hated every second of it. Oh, you hated every second I of the remake. Hated it. Well, here's the thing. Oh, so okay. it was like they took. Everything great about Suspiria, the music, the mm -hmm. colors, and mm -hmm. just completely did the opposite. Like when mm -hmm. Tom York was announced that he was doing the score, I was expecting something decent. Um, but I don't know. I just you just can't compare the original, even like what the um Goblin is the the mm -hmm. band that did the original Suspiria, and it's one of the greatest soundtracks in my mind. So maybe I was just a little disappointed that it wasn't. Uh, I got maybe I'll rewatch it. I don't know. We'll see. You know, it can be really tough to try and stack up against some a previously known entity, especially oh, that's yeah. so beloved for the reasons that it is. Um, so I get that. I mean, I, I had a person who was a total noob watch it, and they were just like, "What the fuck, right?" And so <laughs> I felt like the surrealism elements, the the sort of dark brooding threat underneath the surface of all time. And, mm -hmm. and then even just like the open, like, oh yeah, we're just witches. And yet even that turns into something towards the end. It's like, every, nobody gets it the way that they think they're gonna, oh, you know, yeah. which is pretty well, good. Yeah. The, the end of that movie, I love. The end of it was just batshit crazy. And I loved every <laughs> second of that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it, it's definitely a, a vast difference from, just running down the hallway of the dorm and just opening the door and just, I just, what? You just yeah. ran through a door and fell into, what the hell room is that? That's just an empty room a, with a 10-foot drop wire. of barbed wire. <laughs> then, you know, how do you how do you escape falling in barbed wire? As you guys would know from death matches, you writhe in it. If you yeah. writhe, the more you writhe in the barbed wire, the more you escape. Isn't that of right, course. Bill? That's what, we, that's what we found. That's what we found uh, during our death match is we destroyed our bodies because Bill forgot to clip it. Yeah. I, and, you know, <laughs> hey, there's no knock on Suspiria. I think it's a great film, too. Uh, I like the remake as well. But um, uh, I think for, for Argento, I would say, and maybe this is cliche, that uh, uh, Deep Profondo Rosso is probably his best stuff. I would say so, too. Or Tenebre. I really love Tenebre. And yeah. the, the yeah. ending of Tenebre is so like, boom, explosive. The ending of Profondo Rosso obviously does kind of come out of nowhere a bit. Mm -hmm. but it And it's impactful in the overall tone and the plot of the movie. But the end of Tenebre is like, oh, shit, this is like going all out. It's not only is it like, here's the, the reveal, but then the yeah. reveal is like brutal as fuck. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's some scenes in that one that are... Uh unexpectedly gory and yeah. just insane and I, again I, I i i love every second of it i i'm i'm, I'm a big fan of the italian horror i'm also a big fan of the italian rip-off movies which 
I watched, I've seen every Italian Road Warrior, Escape from New York, ripoff film that there is. I absolutely fucking love them. With one the of my absolute favorites being, uh, um, was it Rome 2080 or whatever, which is mm-hmm. by Fulci. Um, yes, yes. And that's brilliant. There's a section where it seems as though, so they had uh, um, uh, the hammer, right? They had uh, uh, Fred Williamson. Mm-hmm. He's playing his part. And then there's a, they make this assault onto the headquarters and they're going through all this. Thing. And then all of a sudden, Fred Williams' character's helmet's on the whole time with the visor down. And there's this whole section where you never <laughs> see his face. And then later on in the film, like maybe another you know, 10 minutes after all, this is in the climax. Then it's like, oh, he shows up again. <laughs> it's like, well, now you can see his face because I guess they just lost him for a moment or what have you. By the way, so and my one of my other favorites of that, that ripoff cinema area, um, uh, and I'm not, I, the, all the Escape from the Bronx stuff is, is great. And I oh, even love the Enzo Castellari, the, 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 the final Bronx Lotta Finale, which isn't even really all that related, but it's still mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Um, but I think that the New Barbarians oh, is overlooked. And that, that one is so fucking fantastic. And I got a chance to meet Fred Williamson. I come up to him and I'm like, you're a hell of a man. You've done a hell of a lot of things. Incredible football player, obviously, and you know all the acting stuff. But, I, but I'm going to tell you, you were fantastic in the new barbarians as um oh what was the name of his character i forget uh uh but he shot exploding arrows and i go you know i don't think you're gonna get anybody to tell tell you about how they liked you in white fire or of these other weird yeah, old films yeah, and he just looked at me like okay <laughs> all right and he tells me the story about they called this dude uh bomba or whatever on set for the new barbarians because anytime it was hey we need an explosion this guy's like Oh, you want the explosion? Oh, I got my, I'm gonna give you it. And he would just explode the shit out of everything. He would just, he would make this guy would blow everything up to a level that was beyond necessary. And so yeah. they're like, oh, okay. All right. Is this, this the guy. new Spartans? Is that what we're talking about? The new Spartans? Where new Spartans? Spartans? Yeah, he was in a movie, The New Spartans. His name was Lincoln Jefferson Washington the Fourth. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't it. No, no. Uh, the that, New that Barbarians, was he was called uh, Kismet. Kismet. That was his character's name. Yes. Uh, the new Spartans is a movie about um, that's about cops, I think. I'm looking right now because I I was going through his IMDb to pull it out because I know I know from like from Dust Till Dawn or whatever, but uh, then I saw I saw the new Spartans and I just started laughing my ass off because his name was <laughs> his name Jackson is ridiculous. Washington. Yeah, yeah um, he was Kismet or something. I think his name was Kismet in like uh, yeah. in New Barbarians. <laughs> And uh, by the way, in the new Spartans, uh, there's a character named Big Dick McCracken. <laughs> <laughs> so here's what has to happen, and I, I you, we need to get together and watch the new Spartans uh, because okay, right now. it is an eight out of ten on IMDb. It's one. Well, you know that would never lie. Yeah, eight out of ten on IMDb, <laughs> Bill. <laughs> I got a question for Bill. Uh-huh. Uh, Original Maniac. Now I'm not going to make you compare original to the remake because mm-hmm. no, no possibility. I'm sorry. I, there's no arguments that can be made. Mm-hmm. But do you feel that the remake of Maniac delivered in telling the story and and updating it a bit to a different location and time? Yes, I do agree with that. Um, and I also think that Elijah Wood did a hell of a job. Mm-hmm. Um, he when he wants to be creepy can be fucking creepy as hell. Yeah. Um, but I yeah I didn't I didn't hate the remake. I I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, again because it was I and I went into it not expecting you know the head being blown up by a fucking shotgun blast. <laughs> right. You know I I knew I knew that that wasn't gonna be it. So I didn't go into it with like super high expectations, but I did. I wound up liking it a lot in the end and yeah. I do agree that you know you know updating it and putting a new location and everything definitely helped better with the uh with the story yeah in downtown LA and like not even far from where I used to live in fact where mm-hmm. I might have where I was living probably when I watched it yeah I could look out the window and I think yeah oh they must have either shot like that building or one block over yeah um because they've got these little districts down there and I like the flower district the uh, garment district and 
various stuff. So I was in one of the garment district buildings, I think it was, and it's just nondescript. And there's lots of them in downtown LA at night. You get uh, still pretty creepy. Um, and then, you know, the updated soundtrack that went with the whole thing, like this, this vibe fits with it all. Um, yeah. The adjustments on the character, but that still kept all the, the same motivations. And the thing that I felt one of the most important parts about the original Maniac by Lustig's Maniac is that not only is the movie feel vile when it needs to feel vile, like mm -hmm. it has a tone, a color wash to it, uh, just that may, it's like, this is nasty, right? Yeah. This is, and the, the kills are brutal. It, it, it pulls you into what's nasty is nasty, but that the character has a sympathetic element to him who genuinely doesn't want to be nasty, wants to have love in his life, wants to actually connect with women in a, in a, in a healthy and secure way. And there's this segue where he, he finds this relationship and he's actually trying to overcome his own you know, oh, yeah. his own abuses and, and childhood and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, oh, well, it's a multi-layered character in a lot of ways. But, you know, yep. you know, it's it's and I felt like Elijah Wood delivered on the tortured um, uh, antagonist, protagonist, mm -hmm. kind of both person in the same way. And yeah. where there were these pure, sincere elements to the character that were actually at odds with him in the movie as the character and as you as the viewer with the way that they interact and i actually got to meet elijah wood once it's a that's a story for another day oh, yeah. and uh he he made me cheeseburgers at his okay. house they were good cheeseburgers <laughs> and i got to talk to him for a second i was like hey dude i thought your remake of maniac really hit the nail on the head and it was really faithful to the original and i felt like it was a proper updating but without trying to overtake or replace or anything i thought it was a good job thank you i really was really happy with that movie and it was really important thank you <laughs> now uh why weren't we invited to that party i gotta know <laughs> Because I got to talk uh, to him about, you know, him being a hooligan. There's a lot of things I got to talk to Elijah Wood about. Well, yeah. I mean, I, the carrier pigeon might have got lost in the mail. Yeah, son of a bitch. But that it, goddamn it, pigeon. It that, happens. Thatcher ate it again, didn't he? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> oh, Lord. So I have a question. I know you guys are big death metal fans. Bill and mm -hmm. I, and you're both movie fans, and I figured maybe you've seen this movie. I don't know if you have. Bill and I went to see a movie about a death metal band or black metal band. Um, the movie was what? called Lord, Lords of Chaos. Lords of Chaos, yeah. Thoughts? I like it, but I'm not going into Lords of Chaos trying to be like, well, I don't think that happened exactly like this, and me, 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 and you know all that kind of stuff. And and I also found it mildly amusing that Varg was upset about the casting choice. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hilarious. <laughs> but, uh, they just made him uh, such a pussy. I loved it. <laughs> oh, it's kind of he's like, and he's a he's a chubby, and you know the rest of other park stuff. Uh, yeah, you know that's but, my favorite but, part about it is that like they weren't portrayed like they are this like iconic sort of black metal band, but in the same token, it's like yeah, but like really they also were this. <laughs> it's like they <laughs> well, were. It, I mean, it's not entirely accurate. And even Jonas Ackerlin says in the beginning of the movie in the little type that shows up, he's like, well, you know, there's fiction. And I felt like it was a decent way of trying to trying to present that story to the world in, in, a, yeah. in a film concept. But, you know, yeah, I'm sure at deep down, a lot of these youths were nerds, but they're also, I mean, one thing that maybe doesn't get come across is that even Varg and the, the burnings and the, People, there were some people that this, this is serious to them. This is not a joke. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, you know, I don't know exactly what happened when he went to Euronymous's place. And I don't know exactly how, he, I think, to my understanding, is that Euronymous was not really as, like, cult as he was always trying to portray himself to be. And then yeah. realized that something came with that that was perhaps something that he didn't really want to deal with. But uh, uh, at the end of the day, I mean, black metals foundational ethos is can be kind of frightening so uh, i felt like if you could get that point across that it would be important yeah if there's a great half hour documentary on youtube if you've never seen it with uh i think it's from vice and they go to interview gall and oh, that's a pretty good one yeah i mean that i mean he's a he, he's a he's a scary dude 
He's a he's a just a, a he looks he looks he looks like a vampire is what he looks like. But this uh, yes, but this documentary, um, I think one of the crew members like halfway through was like, "Listen, I can't do this anymore. Like this is." This oh is well, cool. that that's the thing about the documentary that to me is the the like the uh, unintended humor of it all is like how much the people doing the documentary suck. How, oh, how yeah. like giant pussies yeah. and just oh, just yeah. shitty, sucky, wimpy, just like, why are you even here? You're yeah. not, and it seemed as though like the odd responses that you're getting from Gaul are mostly in response to them being such morons and yeah. asking the stupidest questions and, and absolutely not engaging him in any way that is um, uh, intellectually stimulating, similar to this. So, but, but yeah, so they, so Gaul of all things, the Gaul of him is he goes and he wants to take them up on this hike on this mountain to show yep. him this cabin that his grand, great, great, great grandfather built or something. And the guy's like crying, I'm going to die. I'm gonna, I don't know if I can, and he's just being just a giant pile of shit. And, yeah. and to me, at the end of the day, you see what this all leads to and you go, what a disrespectful fucking asshole this kid is. Because through all your dumb shit that you bothered this guy about, right? Although, thankfully, we got some great memes and gifts. Oh, yeah. But uh, he opened up something deeply personal to you from his, his, his lineage of his familial lineage. And all you could think about was crybaby bullshit about how it's yeah. old and whatever. It's like, this is why he wants to kill you. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I honestly, watching it, I wouldn't have been surprised if something violent did happen. If he, if he, mm -hmm. if, if, if he did decide to just, you know what, fuck this. I'm going to tie you down in a chair and bleed you out like he did that one guy. Right, exactly. Yeah. But it's, if you can get Andy on the show, God, he's got stories for days, and he's a he's a far superior storyteller than I am. But oh, he's telling me about playing this festival and Iron Maiden's headlining, and Andy is, I think he's he's like in the door of his dressing room or their their green room or something, and he sees Gall like just kind of running down the hallway, all giddy and happy, and Andy <laughs> sees him and he just goes, Iron Maiden is playing, and he just keeps going. <laughs> God. And I and here's the thing, both me and Andy were like justified. Yeah. If someone if Iron Maiden's playing, we're like, Iron Maiden's we're all that way. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know? Uh I feel about Hootie and Blowfish. I get it, man. Same Just level. Hootie now though, right? Just Hootie. Just no, it's not even you're you know, maybe he was the blowfish. I don't know. Was... <laughs> Perfect. All right. We're... We can wrap here. We can go. We can. Uh, it's been an hour. Yeah. We can. We can hang on the Zoom and keep talking. But podcast, we generally keep to about an hour. All right. Um, All right. Yeah. Josh, uh, we're gonna put over our stuff. Then we're gonna put over your stuff. Or you put over your stuff. Mm -hmm. So, uh, the Dan Barry on Twitter at WWE Dutch on Twitter. Uh, you can go to our ProWrestlingTees.com/slash Team Tremendous. Buy some merch. Bill, what do you want to put over? Um, I'm gonna put over um, what I'm drinking right now. What I've been drinking this whole podcast is. Josh Barnett's own Warbringer, fucking delicious goddamn bourbon here. I'm, yeah. waiting, I'm waiting for another batch because uh, this this bottle is is almost done. I'm savoring it because it's so delicious. You know who? You know a couple people that have bottles of that whiskey. Who's that? Corpse Grinder. Fuck and yes. And King Diamond. Fuck yeah. And me. And, and you, yeah. and you. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I went back to uh, because that initial order, um, there was like a glitch thing, and you ended up getting sent standard Warbringer the blend. Yeah, and then it's like, oh well, we'll we'll we'll, we'll sort that out, and then of course you get sent uh, the War Master edition, uh, and then we're just like, I yeah, just keep the other one. And I went back to our head distiller and everyone. I said, look, my buddy. He loves he loves a good bourbon, and not only did he give incredibly high praise for the the our blend, but uh, the War Master edition. He's like, this is some of the best whiskey I've ever had in my life, and so they're just going, oh, that's awesome. I'm like, well, yeah, it's I'm, I'm pretty pretty proud of it, but I'm I love to to hear people enjoying it so much. Yeah, 
Well, it is. It's uh, it's honestly, it's it's my favorite whiskey that I have right now. Do we have that? Do we have that Royal Rumble bill? No, I didn't tell anybody oh. about it because I just gave it to myself. Good, good. <laughs> did you want? I, don't I don't know what spill you gave me then. Do you like smoked whiskey at all? Dan? Yeah, yeah, I'll be okay. a whiskey drinker. Yeah, yeah. Well, then <laughs> this is this is mesquite smoke, so it's a uh, it's quite a bit different from peat. Think yeah. more closer to mezcal in terms of that smoke profile, but it is it's it's chewy. It's got like a, a it's got a great long finish. There's uh, elements of uh, you'll get tobacco leaf and leather and like the ash and then you'll get dark cherry and dark chocolate and uh some some bit of mint and as well as um i've found uh anise at times like licorice and also maybe like uh root beer all kind of yeah all blended in all blended in you know and it goes from one thing to the next on the palate you know it just keeps going awesome. long finish yeah. plus so, it's uh it's what is this 100 and 117 proof, I think. 100 and, uh, should uh, there the first batch was 109, second batch 114 and a half. 114, okay, yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a yeah. four. Yeah, I believe you have uh, barrel two or batch two, we call it, uh, which yeah. is actually yeah, I think you have batch two, which is barrel eight, and okay. batch two had a massive dark chocolate element on the nose and it in the did, finish. yeah, because I re I remember I talked to you, I was comparing both. Because I still had a little bit left of the first batch, and I think the second the second batch is better in my opinion. I like it a lot more. Um, the first one's still delicious too, but yeah, you can definitely taste the uh, the differences between the two. Yeah, and being a single barrel product, that's always going to be the case. You know, it's always going to be a little bit different. Look, let's just all get together and let's just drink some whiskey. Mm -hmm. and just talk about you guys talk about death battle and movies and i'll just chime in with elton john lyrics every now and then uh josh oh. what josh what do you want to put over uh uh i like to put over team tremendous to be perfectly honest they're great hey, guys okay. uh we always have a blast um you're always doing cool stuff and i love that you guys are doing a podcast because a lot of things in between the two of you to put out there into the world uh, a lot of great conversations uh and then i guess uh, at Josh L. Barnett on Twitter and um, uh, Instagram. And then there's a Josh Barnett official on uh, Facebook. And then we've got all the Josh Barnett Bloodsport uh, pages as well. And basically, we're all trying to keep you all as in the loop as possible with Bloodsport 5, which is coming up here. Uh, Bloodsport 4 uh, just happened last weekend, but it's still available up on bloodsport.watch to be ordered. You can also order a VIP package. It comes with an exclusive t-shirt. Uh, or And you can also order both programs for a discount. Now, Bloodsport 5 has John Moxley versus uh, Davey Boy Smith Jr. Uh, and Tom Lawler versus Jeff Cobb. Oh, awesome. I love Cobb. He's the best dude in the world. He's yeah, kid. great guy. All Just right, well, We'll stop recording. We'll talk more about other things that are probably too offensive for podcasts. Guys, thank you so much for listening. And uh, yeah, you know, see you. See you later. <laughs>